Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to be a supporter of this podcast and uh, if this is of benefit to you, please go to patreon.com slash timothyyap. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have your support. It's patreon.com slash timothyyap. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you and God bless you. Let us pray. Father, as we come into your presence to once again pause to hear your word, Father, we pray that you will speak to us. We thank you for the book of Lamentations as we spent our next few moments to hear what you have to say. Father, we pray that you will anoint these few moments with your presence, that the words of my mouth, Lord God, will be acceptable to you, that our meditations will be upon you and you alone that through our time together, through the exposition of your word here in the book of Lamentations, our faith in you will grow, our vision of you will expand, so that when we come to face the trials of life, we will always look to you and find joy in your presence. So Lord God, may you be magnified during this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. When Russia started invading Ukraine about a year ago, not many people would believe it. Not even a young Russian soldier. He was told that he was going to go somewhere outside of Russia for some military training. And before he knew it, he and his platoon were in Ukraine. It was not just a military operation as they were told, it was the war. Missiles were flying all around him. His comrades were being blown to pieces around him. Limbs and body parts were everywhere. And he was at the throes of death. And this young man would be dead in the next few hours. And later, the Ukrainian soldiers, as they were uh, scouting over and cleaning up the dead bodies, they found the cell phone, the, the cell phone of this dead soldiers a few days later. And this was the final message that he left on his phone. He was writing this to his mother. Mama, I'm in Ukraine. There is a real war raging here. I am afraid. We are bombing all the cities together, even targeting civilians. We were told that we would be welcomed here and they are falling under Uh, our armored vehicles, throwing themselves under the wheels and not allowing us to pass. They call us fascists. Mama, this is so hard. Those were the last words of that Russian soldier before he was blown into pieces. Up to this day, almost a year into the war, the Russian Federation still refuses to call their attack on Ukraine a war. In fact, if anyone in Russia dare calls it a war, they would have to face imprisonment for spreading false propaganda. But it's not just the Russians refuse to call it a war. It's the problem with many of us too. Many of us do not dare and do not want to admit that we are at war with God. But the Bible says that all human beings have sinned. And as a result of sin, we are at war with God. 
And this is why Paul has to say in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore we have been justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would Paul say that we will have peace with God? Because when we first sin, we are at war with God. And you may say, how are we at war with God? We are at war with God every time. For instance, you have feelings of self-pity. Have you been feeling self-pity on yourselves lately? Not long ago, I met a man in his 50s and has never been married. And he admits to me that he's always jealous whenever he sees his peers spending Father's Day with his children. Every time he sees his friends going out on vacation with their children, he would get jealous, a sadness would engulf his heart. Part of him hates himself, and part of him hates God for the loneliness he feels. He feels so bad about himself, and self-pity tends to take over. Self-pity is a kind of war against God. It is saying to God, God, I hate you because of how you created me. You have given me plans to wreck me, to harm me, to bring me shame and deprive me of our future. We are at war with God when we feel that God has overlooked us and when we are angry at Him. And such feelings of anger towards God or blame towards God or even sadness towards God is a war against God because it's saying that God you don't know the future better than I do I can do a better job than you Lamentations is a very sad book in the Old Testament and today we're given the task of looking at Lamentations chapter 2 the book of Lamentations is a book that describes how we're at war with God. The book has five chapters, three chapters, namely chapters 1, 2, and 4, each have 22 verses. And each of these uh, verses be, uh, begin with each of the alphabets, or the 22 alphabets in the Hebrew language. So each of these chapters speak about God's judgment from the first letter to the last. Safe to say, God's judgment is complete. So in these chapters, God is at war with His people because His people have been rebellious against Him because sin drives a wedge between us and God. Sin says that we know how to rule our lives and our world better than God knows. And that's declaring war at God. So our task this morning is to look at Lamentations chapter 2. Here God is at war with Jerusalem and he comes to attack the city of Jerusalem, sometimes known as Zion in the Bible. You see, in the Old Testament, many people, especially during this time of, uh, of uh, Lamentations, believe that Zion is a city that will never fall. They have so much pride in Zion that they believe that regardless of what happens, Zion will always stand because it's the city of God. But here God comes to challenge the people. God is at war with His people, and God attacks in chapter 2, two things here in, in, the, in, here in chapter 2. The first thing that God attacks 
is the city of Zion. Why does God do that? Why is God at war with us when we sin against Him? Because God comes to destroy our pride. God comes to destroy our pride. And that's the very first thing that God does here in the book of Lamentations. He comes to destroy the city, not because He enjoys tearing down His own city, but to tear down the city, He tries to tear down the pride of the people. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 1 begins with these words, How the Lord has covered daughter Zion. These words bring us back to the start of Yahweh's relationship with Israel in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 portrays Israel as an unwanted child, abandoned on the roadside. Instead of ignoring her, Yahweh, God himself, adopts her, nurtures her, takes her in, washes her, puts her on, puts on the best clothes on her, and bedecks her with jewels. But here in the book of Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 1, the scene is being reversed. Instead of covering daughter Zan with uh, embroidered clothing, the clothing of royalty, here Yahweh covers her with a cloud of anger, verse 1. And as uh, daughter Zan's enemy, God removes his protective hand upon the city. You see, throughout the history of Israel, the reason why many of the Israelites believed that Zion is impenetrable, that Zion will not fall, is precisely because God's hand has always been protecting it. Not because the city is special, but because God was in it. And here God removes His right hand from the people. In chapter 2 verse 3, we read of God withdrawing His hand from the city making the city vulnerable right now to the attack of the invading enemy, the Babylonians. And besides, the daughter of Zion, or the city itself, has an intimate relationship with God in the Old Testament. She is renowned for her beauty. Ezekiel speaks about how beautiful Zion is and how beautiful she is as she rose up to become a queen in God's heart. And the psalmists speak about Zion, perfect in beauty, that God shines forth in her in Psalm chapter 50, verse 2. But here, God, in chapter 2, verse 1, casts her down from heaven and removes her, removes the beauty or the splendor from Israel. Zion is being stripped away of her status. Rather than dwelling with God on high, God now throws her down. And God not only does that, He shoots down everything that was pleasing to the eye in verse 4. And as um, and uh, in the book of Psalms, the psalmist always praises the city of Zion for its beauty. In fact, it was so beautiful that the psalmist invites the readers to come visit uh, the city. But here in Lamentations chapter 2, Yahweh takes on the tour. Yahweh goes and Yahweh himself visits the city, but not so much to admire it, but to tear it down. Here God visits, uh, in verse 2, uh, the stronghold of daughter Judah. God, uh, in verse 5, visits the palaces and the strongholds and the, the, the walls of the city, the gates and the bars. But here God not only just visits them, but five times 
if you look at the text carefully, five times God is said to have swallowed up, swallowed up the little buildings and the edifices of the city of Zion. It's a way of God trying to destroy the city. But why is God doing that? To show them, to show them that they have placed too much pride on the city, that they have forgotten God Himself. And that's what happens to us every time when we feel self-pity. Or every time when we try to think of God messing up our plans, that God's not a good planner in our lives, we place our own intellect, we place our own vision of ourselves at the center. In order for God to remove that, to see Him for who He is, He has to remove the little idols that we place along the way. William Frey was a retired bishop from Colorado. And um, when he was a young man, he used to visit uh, a man named John who was blind. Um, so one day when the bishop went to visit John, he asked John, May I just ask you, how did you lose your sight? And John simply said, Well, when I was 13 years old, there was a chemical explosion. And, uh, and that chemical explosion sort of d destroyed my eyesight. And the, the bishop asked John, how did you feel about that? Well, I felt helpless. I felt that God had let me down. I hated God for allowing that accident to happen. And for the first six months, John said, I did nothing, but I hid myself in the room. I started feeling sorry for myself. I started crying every day and night. And one day my dad had enough. So he entered the room and said, John, winter's coming. And the storm windows need to be built up. And that's your job. I want you by tomorrow to fix up all the windows because winter's coming. Then he turned around, left the room, slammed the door. John became very, very angry. He said, he thought to himself, Who did he think I am? I'm blind. How could I ever fix the windows? But after his anger subsided, he went to the garage, found the windows, located the tools, found the leather, and muttering under his breath, he tried to feel his way around, and after a long heart's work, he installed the windows and John continued by saying I got the windows out but it was only much later I realized that not for a moment not for a moment since I stepped out of the room that my dad was only three or four meters away watching me all this while and sometimes we forget we think that the worst happens to us and God just sits there, shakes his leg and laughs. But no, God is right there with us. But we are so consumed by what we want, what our vision of life looks like, that we don't even notice that he's around. And sometimes he has to destroy the beautiful Zion's 
of our lives to get us to see but God not only destroys the city of Zion God also destroys a second thing here in the book of Lamentations God destroys all the religious sites in the city it's very interesting what God does here in the book of Lamentations you find that God destroys the religious sites and the first one that he looks at is here in chapter 2 verse 1 the Bible tells us that God has not remembered his footstool no more except for first Chronicles chapter 28 verse 2 and Isaiah 66 verse 1 the footstool of God is another word for the temple you see in X uh, in Psalm chapter 99 verse 5 the psalmist says extol the Lord your God worship or prostrate yourselves at his footstool here, the psalmist is describing the worshippers falling themselves or prostrating themselves at the temple, not at the ark. So it's uh, the footstool here refers not so much to the ark, but the temple. Posture, worship at the footstool. Similarly, Psalm chapter 132 verse 7 says, Let us go to his dwelling, let us worship his footstool. Here, his dwelling, which is the temple, parallels his footstool. In the Old Testament, Yahweh's footstool, his temple, is where the nations tremble, it's where God is worshipped, it's where God is at peace. But here is God is saying to the people, I've forgotten, I've chosen to forget my footstool. I've chosen to forget my temple. And the next cultic site that's mentioned here is the tent of Dr. Zan, verse chapter 2, verse 4. Two verses later here, God has said that He has poured out His wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. Within the Old Testament, the tent of Zion is often known as the immovable tent. So when God says that He has torched, He has burnt His, uh, his immovable tent, it only simply means that God has left His tent. So the tent is right now vulnerable that's down on fire. And the next image of Jerusalem here is that of a booth. Chapter 2 verse 6 says, God has broken his booth like that in a garden. Within the context of uh, Lamentations chapter 2, here God is trying to uh, make his people forget his appointed festivals. Chapter 2 verse 6. So the booth here most likely refers to the booths that the Israelites will build during the Feast of the Tabernacles. You see, every year the, the Israelites had to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, or sometimes known as Sakoth. And during these times, you will build booths that will represent the temporary shelters of how God looked after His people when they came out of the Exodus. So God here is saying that I'm going to tear all, tear the temple down like someone would tear these booths down during the Feast of the Tabernacles. You see, because after the celebration Feast of Tabernacles, people have to remove these temporary booths. And God is saying, I'm now removing the temple like that. So what is the significance of that? You see, the booth of God is a word that's being used in the prophets quite a bit. For instance, Amos chapter 9 verse 11 speaks about God's promise that God will one day rebuild David's booth 
And you also remember Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 14. That on the day of the Lord that will come one day, Yahweh himself will cause Zion to prosper in such a way that it will become the place of an unending light whereby it will be constantly flowing and gushing with water and all the surviving Gentiles will come and celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles here at Zion. So when God says He's going to destroy the booth, God is going to remove all these privileges from Israel. God is actually removing all forms of communication with His people. Why does God want to do that in His declaration of war against Israel? It's simply to remind them that He is the only one that can bring peace. Even with all the, with the temple, even with all the cultic systems, even with all the festivals, they can never bring peace upon themselves without Him. Without God, the temple means nothing. Without God, the Feast of the Tabernacles will not reach its height that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. No. Without God, no human beings can ever communicate with Him. Without God, we will never know God's plans. Without God, we will be lost. And this is what God is saying. Unless I take the first move to reach out to you, all of these privileges that were once given to you will be removed. Unless I'm the one that will set up Zion so that it will overflow, gushing out with water, and, and the nations will come to worship, which is all fulfilled in Christ Jesus, because Jesus' living waters flows out of Him. He's the one who is an everlasting light. And Jesus in the book of John's Gospel speaks about Himself being the, 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 the ultimate feast of the tabernacles, that the nations would come to worship Him. Without God taking the initiative, all of these things will not take place. So what does this mean for us? We are at war with God. And there is no way, no way, we can ever reconcile with God. That's what God is saying. That's what sin does. We will never understand the goodness of God unless God reveals His goodness to us. You will always wallow in self-pity and hatred of yourself and of your future and of God if God doesn't show us that He is loved. And this is why we need the New Testament. This is why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 6, you see, at the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took the initiative communicate with us to show us that God is love. Why is it 
that when we feel self-pity, we don't see and understand God's love. Because we don't. Sin blinds us. And there's no way you can self-help yourself to feel good unless God reveals Himself. Unless we ponder again the beauty of His sacrifice on Calvary. That's the good news. That's what ends the war between us and God. Brennan Manning once told a story about how he got his name Brennan. While growing up, um, his best friend Ray, his, he had a best friend called Ray. And Ray and Brennan um, himself uh, um, uh, um, uh, would play together. They would... Uh, have fun together, they went to school together, they did their homework together, and they were best of friends. And uh, both of them even enlisted in the army together. They went to boot camp together, fought on the, on the, on the, on the front line. And one night, while they were in the foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about the good old days that they spent together in Brooklyn. While Ray, his best friend, listened and ate a chocolate bar. Suddenly, a live grenade came into the foxhole and Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, and then he dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself at the grenade. And it exploded and immediately killed Ray. But Brennan's life was spared. So when Brennan became a priest, he was inducted to take on a new name, a name of a saint. He immediately thought of himself, thought of his good friend Ray. So he called, so he took the name uh, uh, Ray Brennan, because that was the name of his friend Brennan. So he took the na name Brennan. Years later, he went to visit Ray's mother, who was in Brooklyn. They sat together drinking tea, and Brennan said to ask the mother of Ray, Do you think that Ray loved me? Do you think that Ray loved me? Mrs. Brennan almost fell out of her couch. She shook her finger in front of Brennan's face and shouted, What more? What more could Ray have done for you? Brennan said that that was quite an emotional moment because the mother kept waving the finger at Brennan and saying, What more could my son Ray have done for you? He had given his life for you. How can you ever doubt that he loved you? How can you ever doubt that he loved you? What more? Would he have done for you? Whenever we feel self-pity, and whenever we feel that we're at war with God, that God is unfair, that my life has not turned out the way my friend's life has turned out, does God really love me? Then I would ask you, what more could Jesus have done? What more? He gave His life for us. What more could He have done? Keep 
the cross central and it will drive away self-pity. Keep the cross central and it will drive away doubts about God's love. Keep the cross central and your hatred for God will dissipate because at the cross He showed us He loved us and His love knows no wrong. Father, we come into Your presence this morning and we thank You there are many times in our lives we doubt your love. There are many times in our lives we feel that you have messed up. That you have not given us your best. That you have given our neighbors the best. But you have left us behind. We have showered people with friends, with opportunities, with success, with families, with money with a prosperous and easygoing life while we are left in the dirt. Father, forgive us for having such thoughts as if you are unfair to us. Help us not to feel self-pity and declare war against you and your sovereign ways. Show us again the cross because that's how you reconcile us so in the midst of feeling doubts about your love and I pray for anyone listening to this message even at this moment it's feeling bad about yourself father turn our eyes to look to the cross and may your mercy drive us to repentance that we will run to you again acknowledge you as our Savior and our Lord. Teach us the beauty of the cross because that's the solution that heals all brokenness. In Jesus' name, Amen.